part two of this series on Exodus, and uh, I've got to say this to you because uh, it is it's burning in my heart. Um, this week, as I was preparing for this talk, um, I really felt like the Holy Spirit really wanted me to approach this a little unique in a unique way. And I said, I didn't really know what that meant, and maybe it's in the delivery. But if you're, you're be watching football, by the way, playoff season happening, no, no, no NFL, no football fans. Anybody watch, does anybody else watch football besides me? I can't see you. Okay. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Um, my goodness. We, all right. So, uh, but, you know, sometimes depending on the, the team you play, you have to change your approach, Right? Sometimes you have to change your approach based on the circumstance that you're in. And I just felt like the Lord really wanted to do something through us this morning. And so it was just something inside of me that felt like, gosh, there needs to maybe be a change into the approach. So if I scream a little more today, I apologize in advance. I've just, or if I'm, I don't know. I, I just felt like I think the Holy Spirit's gonna do something here. I sense his presence in the room. And, and, and we're stepping into this series about being free to be the you that God made you to be. And so it's, it's interesting to me that I'm going to be challenged and be pushed at times in my own journey to be the person that God has created me to be. I heard this past week somebody, actually Pastor Joel, love him. Uh, we were meeting and talking and uh, he said to me, he said, you know, Ricky, you're a field person. You ever hear, hear somebody say something to you and at first you're like, I don't know if that was an insult or a compliment. And uh, so immediately I was like, you know, I was like, yeah, you know, and I didn't know how to take it, but because I love him and respect him so much, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then internally, I'm like, what, why would you say that, dude? What's but I didn't have the, you know, guts to say it back. So I'm sitting there, and I was like, you know, I had thought about it. I was like, I am a field person. Sometimes you, and for me, I was like, man, it's so true. And I talked to my wife. I was really wrestling over this sermon that I have today, and I think it's true I'm a field person because oftentimes I have to feel it before I can preach it. You know, I, it, for me, for me personally, I've got to, it's got to get inside of me. I have to digest it, chew on it for a while until I can regurgitate it to you. <laughs> Sorry for that descriptive there, but that's what's happening. So I'm going to make some statements today that, you know, I'm just going just gonna to read to you what I put down. Ephesians 5.14, I'm going to start here. And I know the production team, amazing people in the back are going to have to follow me on this today a little bit. Ephesians 5.14, do you have that by any chance? Amen. Somebody came here today to see this verse. If that's you, write it down. It's time for you to awaken from your sleep. Meaning you're not spiritually dead, but God wants you to know today you need to awake. Here's a sign that you're asleep spiritually. This is just a sign. I'm gonna give you a great sign that you might be asleep spiritually. During times of singing, you do this. You might be asleep. That could be for you today. You came here today just to know this, that God wants to awaken your soul. 
in this, seed, this series on freedom, God wants to take you on a journey like the Israelites because he wants you to be free. And he wants your soul to be free. Free to smile and free, watch this, to sing. I might preach this uh, next week as well, so if I end up repeating it next week, then just hear it twice. But somebody in this room, I believe, a long time ago, you used to dance, and you're not free to dance in the presence of God any longer. I tell my wife this yesterday. We're driving on a date, and I was telling you last night, I said, you know, it's frustrating. Can I be candid today? I know this is a little unique, but I'm just trying to obey my father. Amen? So I was driving in the car yesterday with my wife, and I said, you know, it's frustrating to me how we have classed, how we've kind of stereotyped churches where they have people that are dancing. Come on, you know the name. We are churches. You laughed because you've called them weird churches. Or you call them Pentecostal churches. Or we call them charismatic churches. We label churches oftentimes, I've, I know it, come on, I know it. Because they're singing or shouting or dancing or laying on the ground. And in the midst of that, we stifle and grieve the Holy Spirit. Now listen, tomorrow night at around 8.30 p.m., the Bucks are playing the Cowboys. And the weather is gonna be somewhere around 45 degrees in Tampa. And there is going to be, come on, you've heard this example before, I don't know, 60,000 fans or something crazy, right? And I go to the Bucks games often because I like to see greatness. All right. So I watch the Jumbotron. You ever see the Jumbotron, right, the screen? And you see grown men, painted faces, hairy Chest, shaved chest. I don't even know if it's, it's some, some, some of these people, it's just like, you should put a shirt on, like, we don't want to see that chest. Yeah. Okay, painted shoulder pads, pirate things, screaming for hours in the game. And they got there earlier in the day to sit on a concrete parking lot, screaming, yes? And somehow, it's like, man, that's like, that's okay. It's not weird. It's just a fan. Yeah, I don't disagree. But I don't disagree. But somehow, I'm just here to say, in the church, we should be free to dance. Like, 
where it doesn't feel so awkward. In fact, I would say to you and suggest this to you that most churches you walk in today, hands lifted, a little bit of swaying. You know? That's about as far as most go, right? I just... There's something inside of me that goes, man, I just would love to be a part of a church where it's like dancing is totally fine. And it's not weird. And I could tell the people right now are like, oh, no, you didn't. They're the people sitting and did not applaud just now. They're like, not coming back. Nope. I'm looking for a church that does this. Sleep. Sleeping church, awaken church, awaken. It's time to rise up. I want to preach a sermon today that I hope and I pray goes beyond Sunday. I don't prepare sermons for Sunday. I do not spend all the hours in prayer and studying and writing 17 pages of study notes to condense down to a few pages. I'm not preaching 17 pages, don't worry. But there are 17 pages of study notes for today. I don't go through all of that. All of that wrestle to hear what God is trying to communicate so you can have a good sermon for Sunday. My hope that you get a sermon on Sunday that you carry with you Monday through Saturday. The church is not called to hear a message. It's called to be the message. So don't come just to hear a message. Come to, to receive something that you can go take to somebody who needs it. That's my hope today, is that the sermon that's preached today would forever change your life. Amen? That's just the, a little bit of the intro. Okay, so let's jump in <laughs> and see what God wants to say. The purpose of the series, if you have your sermon notes with you, and I'm sorry if we ran out, and I'm so excited to see so many of you. But the purpose of the series is that you would be free to be the you that you were made to be. To be free to be the you that you were made to be. Have you ever heard the statement, do you? Just do you, bro. I'm going to do me. Y'all heard that? Your moms and dads, I know. Yeah, do your kids ever say that or you hear that? Do me. Do me, man. Just do you, bro. Do me. Y'all ever heard this? Yes? Raise your hand if you heard somebody say that. Do me, bro. How many of you say that? I'm going to do me. Look at you. I'm going to do me. I'm going to be me. <laughs> Okay, the sermon here, I'm going to tell you, is that you would become the person that God made you to be, not the person that you want to be. It's different. Not the person you choose to be, but who God made you to be. That's what freedom is. I'll show you that in just a moment. Be free to be the you that you were made to be. So in this series of Exodus, we're about the Israelites' journey to freedom. The Israelites are living in a land, and I showed you some pictures last week of this beautiful farmland, green fields. I mean, if you're a farmer, this is perfect, perfect land to grow crops on. 
the Israelites were not always in slavery in Egypt. They had great, luscious land. Eight-hour work days. Ten days they would work. Three days oftentimes they'd get off. Great pay, good living. Things were doing pretty well, if you would, for the Hebrews. Those that would shepherd sheep and grow crops and uh, living pretty decent lives in the context of their culture. The problem was the Hebrew nation were buying into the lies of the culture. Now remember, God had promised to Abraham and God had made promises to this nation, this Hebrew nation, that he would rise up a deliverer to free the people, that ultimately he would reveal himself through this nation. So God had a sovereign plan the whole time. And how many of you know when God has a plan, he's gonna see it through regardless of what happens in the world. He's going to finish what he starts, with or without you. In fact, I was sitting on the front row a minute ago, and I know, I was sitting there just a moment ago, and I felt like the Lord said, you know, Ricky, nothing that ever happens here, this is what he just told me a little bit ago, will ever be because of you. And it won't be because of an invite, and it won't be because of a helicopter egg drop, and it won't be because of this. It'll be because of me. And I told my dad I wouldn't have it any other way. Amen? Wouldn't have it any other way. You do it. I love the half applause. One of the half applause in church is so hilarious, isn't it? It's like a few are like, yeah, that was good. And everybody else is like, I don't know. It's okay. Keep going. All right. So they're buying into the lies of the Egyptian culture. And I want you to think about the church, the body of Christ in our nation, our world today as it operates. They're buying into the lies of the culture. The people have bought into the lies of the culture of Egypt. Here's a couple of lies of the culture of Egypt. We'll put a couple of, they're not gods, but we're going to call them gods because they're really not gods at all, Scripture says. But these are some of the gods that some of the Egyptians were following. Osiris, the god of fertility. And you're going to notice some common themes in some of the gods that I show you in just a minute. But this is one of the gods that Egypt was following. This is the god that you worship in order to bring fertilization to a woman's womb. Brings life, produces life, brings about life, protects life, watches over life. And Pharaoh's job was to hold a good relationship with Osiris. And so people looked at Pharaoh to be the mediator between Egypt, the nation, and fertility. And if you want to have children, you want to have life and produce life, go to the God of Osiris. It's a lie of the culture, but this is what's happening. And the Hebrews are buying into it. Another god, the name is Geb, is the god of the earth. That's the god of the earth right there. I know some of you today look at that and go, really? Yep. It's the god who makes the earth, who produces it, and this is what Egyptian culture is following. I'll show you another one, Hathor. This is a goddess. She is ultimately the one who maintains the heavens Hathor is the God who maintains the heavens. Actually prepares the food and the banquet and all the things ready for you as you enter into the next life. This is the one that we worship in the God of heavens. 
This is what's happening in the Egyptian culture. And so God is watching this Hebrew nation fall into this cultural influence and begins to buy into the lies of the Egyptian culture. And if I showed you the temples and the houses and the money and the fame and all the glory that was happening in Egypt and you look at the pyramids and you look at all these wonderful things, you think that must be the way. The more money you have, the happier you'll be. Bigger the house, the better life you'll have. And I could sit here and preach for 20 minutes and all the lies that many people have bought into and even some of you have bought into. The better paying job, the more happy you'll be. Lie of a culture. Just a lie. Somehow your accomplishments determine your worth. That's not true. God did not go to a cross because of your accomplishments. Went to a cross before you accomplished anything. And you can't accomplish anything without him anyway. So basically, you care less about your accomplishments. Because he loves you. Because of who you are to him and nothing more. Amen. It's true. So they're buying into these lies. And look what Exodus 12, 12 says. Moses writes this. He says, on the same night, I'll pass through Egypt. God is speaking. Strike down every firstborn, both people and animals, and I'll bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. I've got to hurry this up. So he basically says that when he brings judgment on Egypt, I'm not coming after Pharaoh. I'm coming after the gods of Egypt. And I just showed you a picture of three of them, even though they weren't gods at all. This is what gets really deep. And I said it to you last week. Watch this. Deuteronomy 32, 17 says, they sacrificed to demons, not to God. To gods, they did not know. To new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writes, no, but sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. I do not want you to participate with demons. I don't want you to be a part of this work, this act, because you're participating with demons happening behind the scene. So according to Scripture, it's so clear that it were demons that were operating behind these false gods. It's not that the false gods were demons. People in their ignorance created these false gods, and the demonic forces used those, that ignorance to influence the people, to drive them away from God. Did you know that you're a spiritual being and your physical side to you? There's a spiritual side to you and a physical side to you. I've got to tell you this, and this is a whole other teaching, but whenever Genesis chapter 3 happened, the fall of humanity and sin into the world, you remained alive physically, but you died spiritually. That's what it means to be spiritually dead. That's why when you come to know Christ, you become spiritually alive. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Genesis chapter 3, email me, and I'll help you out with that later if you need to. I'm not being, I'm being serious. If you need to email me, you can. Or talk to me in the back. I'd be happy to help you understand what I just said. So, they're being influenced by demonic forces. And God allows a new Pharaoh to come and inflict pain upon them. And as a result of their pain, they cry for help. Because oftentimes when we receive pain, we cry to God. I mentioned that to you again last week. 
And the journey to freedom began with their admittance, I need your help. Remember that your journey to freedom will begin always with, I need help. And if you remember, the Israelites didn't even know who to cry out to because they didn't know God, so they just cried out. Not to God, they just cried out, but God heard their cry in his mercy and in his grace. And he hears the cry because they said, I need your help. So in response to their cry, God chooses a partner, a human who will raise up a deliverer, and that's where I want to focus today. Let's go to Exodus chapter 3. I want to talk to you about a man named Moses. Moses is the one who pens the story of Exodus, so he's writing about his own life here. Moses, from Exodus chapters 1 and 2, if you were to read through it, you see that he is a born a Hebrew, the new Pharaoh who's brutally assassinating the Hebrews, enslaves the Hebrews now, so they've gone from green pastures and working land and everything is great, a new Pharaoh rises up, inflicts pain on them, they become slaves, they work hard, starvation, horrible working conditions, everything changes, they cry out to God for help, the new Pharaoh ends up murdering all the, all the male children, and all the moms and dads and aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents have to put this little baby children into a river and watch it float down. You can imagine the weeping and the wailing in a situation like that. But God in his sovereignty oversees one particular child that we know of in the story, and it's Moses. And the baby's floating down the river, but then the current takes it through God's finger and God's hand, God's sovereignty, sends the child away somewhere in the river, and Pharaoh's daughter picks up the crying child. The sister of Moses watches this whole thing occur, and as she does, she runs over to Pharaoh's daughter and says, would you like for me to get a Hebrew woman for you to nurse the child? Pharaoh's daughter's witnessing all of this and in her grace or maybe in her mercy or something that's overcoming her, she decides to hold the child. Yes, go get the Hebrew woman. So the sister runs back. Moses' sister goes and gets Moses' mother. Moses' mother comes back and nurses the child that she put into the river. Eventually, of course, Pharaoh's daughter ends up taking the child, names him Moses, which means drawn out of the water. That's how his birth took place. Draws out of the water raises him up as an Egyptian, and Moses then becomes like an Egyptian. He learns to walk like an Egyptian and talk, you know, like an Egyptian. Come on. Anybody? Yeah? All right. I told you that joke would work. I was, it's good. <laughs> Got to keep him, keep him going. All right. So, Exodus chapter 3 happens. Verse 11, everything changes. Look at your notes. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were, and he watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that way, and he's looking around. He sees no one. He kills the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. And he asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? Man said back, who made you ruler, verse 14, and judge over us? 
Are you thinking killing me as you killed that Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and he thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses and Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to a land of Midian, goes out to the desert where he sat down by a well. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along, drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. Powerful. Moses sees a Hebrew being beat up by an Egyptian and he's witnessed this before. Telling you, God has a word for you today. He's gonna set some of you free into a calling or he's calling you back into a calling that's been asleep, but he's gonna awaken it. Listen to me. Moses has watched his people been brutally hurt many years. One day, Moses said, I had enough. Couldn't take it anymore. And he steps outside and he watches it. He goes and intervenes. He does a quick right and left check and he takes out the guy and he buries him in the sand. No way am I condoning murder here. I'm just letting you know what happened in his heart. He couldn't take it anymore, the injustice that was happening. The second story is two Hebrews fighting and he goes to the one that was in the wrong and he says, what's your problem, man? This is your brother. And he intervenes. Then he flees to the desert in Midian and some girls are hanging out just trying to get some water, taking care of the sheep. Some jerks come by and he's like, yo, bro, why you gotta be rude to them? And he scares them off. Moses is a pretty bad dude, by the way. Some of you right now are thinking, I should go study more about Moses. That sounds like me, maybe, I don't know. But he's a defender. Moses is a freedom fighter. He's the kind of person that can't sit back and not get involved. He's got to do something about it. He's had enough. This is Moses. This is how we learn about who Moses is. He is a freedom fighter. He does not sit by and watch injustice happen in the world and close his ears to it all and pretend it's not happening. He's got to do something about it even if it cost him his own life. Moses sets down everything that he had in Egypt, power and glory and fame, and he puts it all down, puts it all at play because he can't stand it any longer. Moses hears cry of the people. God looks for people who hears the cry. You hear it? Do you hear the cry of the unborn? Do you hear the cry of the child dying of starvation today? Close your ears. Do you hear the cry of the abused woman sold into slavery? 
Just say, that's so sad, and then move about your day and eat your steak dinner. When will the church be more like Moses, fight for people's freedom, not to be who they want to be, but to become who they were made to be? Moses can't stand it any longer. So he puts it all at risk. And he follows God into the desert, not knowing that it was God leading it all, but he'll soon to find out. This is Moses. God sends him into training. 40 years, he shepherds sheep. Because before he can reveal who God is, it's going to require some training. You're going to have to leave the comfort of Egypt. Some of you came to hear this today. You're going to have to leave the comfort of Egypt in order to discover what God has called you to be. You cannot take it Egypt with you to the promised land. It's going to cost you everything. So God takes him into the desert for 40 years. That's going to be hard. That's going to be really challenging for 40 years to live in a desert when I used to live in a nice palace with AC. Well, they probably didn't have AC, but you get the point. Two thoughts I want you to write down, two truths. We can't lead others to freedom unless we know the way to freedom. God was going to have to teach Moses the way to freedom. He was going to have to teach him what it was to depend fully upon God, to come to know God personally, intimately, relationally, in every single way before he could ever set people free. So you've got to know the way to freedom before you can free other people. Second truth, on your journey to freedom, you can't carry, write this in, your Egypt with you. God, God has a way of saying, if you want to follow me, you have to set down your plan. You're going to have to set down your plan. You're going to have to set down your farm home. Come on, your dream house, your retirement accounts and all the things and your plans in the future. You've got to set it all down. You know, Jesus never invited his followers without first saying, this is going to cost you everything. You still want to do it? Before God ever calls anybody, go look in the New Testament. You'll never see Jesus call somebody and ask to, uh, he'll always start with a commitment to me before I show you what I'm going to call you to do. I'm just thinking of the karate kid right now. I don't know why, but do you remember the scene where Daniel LaRusso is trying to learn from Mr. Miyagi? Somebody, this is for you right now because your favorite movie is Karate Kid, so God's trying to give you an illustration that you'll forever remember. But do you remember when he says, you say I do. It's a really bad Mr. Miyagi thing, I know, but <laughs> you say I do. Do you remember this scene? And he's like, why am I painting the fence? Why am I sanding floor? Do you remember this? Come on, church. Yeah, we watch Karate Kid. I'm not the only one. Some of you are still fans of Cobra Kai, right? Isn't it? Yeah, look at you. <laughs> okay. So... So he tells him, you know, he's like, wax on, wax off. Then he paints the fence, show me a sand the floor. And he sands the floor, paints the fence, you know, and he does all of this stuff. And then eventually he realizes how much he's learned. 
You see, God is like Mr. Miyagi. Somehow, <laughs> Miyagi's like a, just follow me on this. I told you it's gonna be different, and I'm trying to follow the Holy Spirit. So, he will ask for a commitment to him before he reveals to you what to do. So, where Moses is, on your journey to freedom, you can't carry your Egypt with you. It will cost you everything. Set down your plans, set down your goals, set down all of your financial dreams and ambitions and follow Jesus. So, one day, Exodus 3, almost done here, wrapping up, watch this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of the fire of the bush. Moses saw through the burning bush, the fire did not burn up. So he has this encounter with God, verse 10. And then God speaks to Moses. Moses writes, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh. Go back to Egypt to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses gives four responses. I'm gonna go through these fairly fast. Moses responds four things to God. Now watch this, follow me, follow me, follow me. Four things, four responses. Moses receives the calling. You are called. But Moses responds four ways. First one. Exodus 3.11, but Moses said to God, first response, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Write this in your notes, I'm a nobody. Who am I? I'm a nobody. Who am I? Certainly not me. You remember who's operating behind the scenes of all of this stuff? Demons. Demonic forces trying to influence some people in the world that you're a nobody. Don't believe the lie. Moses says, I'm a nobody. His second response, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? This is one of my favorite ones. Then what shall I tell them? Write this in your notes. Moses' second excuse for not doing what God had called him to do was, I don't know you fully. But you see, I don't know the whole Bible, so how can I possibly follow you? Like, I don't even know you myself hardly. How could I follow you? I don't even know your name. So many people run from their calling because they don't fully know God. I'm here to set you free. You will never fully know God because the day you fully know God, you'll become God and you'll never be God. So be free. Don't have to fully know God to fully follow God. Just follow him. Third excuse. Moses answers, but what if they don't believe me or listen to me? And they say, Lord, did not appear to you. In other words, what if they don't believe me? But when Moses says they won't believe me, what he's really saying is, I don't believe you. Their excuse for not doing what God called them to do is, I don't believe you. In other words, I don't trust you. I don't trust you, God. I'm not gonna go and step into that calling because I simply don't trust you that you'll be there to catch me when I need you. What if they don't believe me? To which God is saying, what do you mean they don't believe me? So you're questioning me? 
course, Moses, yeah, questioning you. And the fourth excuse, which is the one that's most popular. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I'm not a good speaker, he says, not an eloquent speaker. For past, you know, since you have spoken to your servant, I am slow of a speech and tongue. In other words, he says, I don't have what it takes. I'm a nobody. I don't know you fully. I don't believe you. And I don't have what it takes. Which is interesting because of what Luke writes in Acts chapter 7. Verse 21. When he, Moses, was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses, verse 22. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in, say it, church, speech. What? Some of you right now are like, hold on a second. I thought he, he had a stuttering problem. He was slow in speech. It's debated. Choose your side. I choose the side of Luke, Acts chapter 7. I don't think he was slow in speech. Maybe he was a little slower than some. But certainly to some degree, he was pretty powerful in speech because Luke says he was powerful in speech in Egypt. He was well-educated, very high up, very well-respected. So what happened to him? The 40 years in the desert, the 40 years over here shepherding sheep, Moses lost confidence in who he was created to be. Moses forgot he was a freedom fighter. And he thought somehow, some way, that all that happened in life, all that dream was dead, all that calling is gone. 40 years in the desert, 40 years old, I'm old, I'm out of it, I'm 60, I'm 70, I'm 80, there's nothing God can do through me. Oh, this is not possible, I'm a nobody, I don't have what it takes, I really can't be used by God, I'm just a somebody, I don't know God fully, I can't communicate that way, I can't do that, I'm not able to do that. To which God shows up and says, why are you thinking that you are the one that's operating behind you in the first place. So he sends Moses through these amazing miracles. He says, hey, I want you to do something, Moses. I want you to take your staff, the same staff you've been shepherding sheep with, and I want you to do something with it. I want you to throw it on the ground, Moses, which Moses throws it on the ground. You know the story? Exodus 4. The Lord said to him, what's in your hand? Okay, I want you to do something. I want you to look at your hands. Just, what's in your hand, Moses? I love this. What's in your hand? What, what's in your hand? And Moses goes, staff. I'm a shepherd. It's my staff. This is this all I got. It's just a staff. Nothing fancy. It's a stick. When all you have in your hand is a stick, you don't have a lot. But Moses, I just got a stick. And so God says, I just want you to take, look at your hand. Look at your hand. I just want you to take, look at your hand. Look at your hand. I want participation. Look at your hand. <laughs> look at your hand. I just want you to take what's in your hand and put it into my hands. And then watch what I do with it. Now, Moses takes the staff. The Lord says, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground. It became a snake. And Moses did what everyone in this room would do. He ran from it. <laughs> Absolutely. It was poisonous snake. I mean, he didn't, which is hilarious to me, because it probably wasn't just a little bitty green grass snake. 
knows what kind of snake it was, but evidently it was big enough, large enough, that he's like, I'm out of here. And he runs. And then the Lord said to him, I want you to reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out, took the hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. Man. You say, why is that so important? Let me tell you something. Go to the pictures of Pharaoh. If you notice in the pictures of Pharaoh, snakes were often worn on their heads. They were symbols of powers of the gods of Egypt. Moses had been trained in Egypt that the gods are powerful But God is saying, Moses, notice the snake. The snakes were symbolic for authority and power. And God is saying, I want you to do something, Moses. Put the wooden stick down, everything you've been holding in your hand, and trust it to me. Just do what I say. Follow my command. Watch who I am. He picks it up. He takes it. And he's like, whoa. And what is God saying to him? Why a snake? Why not a beetle? Why not like a a, a rat, a cat, a dog, a puppy? Wouldn't that have been more cool? Like, Why a snake? Because God is letting him know. You remember all the false gods you were following before back in Egypt? Those were no gods at all. I am the true God right here operating with you, calling you. You are not alone. You have me. And now he's holding it in his hand, and you would think that would be enough. God showing up, doing a work in his life would be enough. But even after that, He continues to make excuse after excuse after excuse. Powerful. If you go back to the picture of one of the gods, okay, any one of them, you see what the god are holding in their hands? These are no gods at all. But go to another one, go back to the Pharaoh. You see the shepherd's crook? In Egypt, You'll see the stick in the hands of Pharaoh because it was believed that Pharaoh was the shepherd. Pharaoh was the provider. Pharaoh was the protector. Pharaoh was the one who looked after the nation of Egypt and the people. And so God says, I want you to take that staff and I want you to know who the shepherd is. It's me. I'm the shepherd. Jesus would say, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the caretaker. I'm the provider. Get your eyes off all the lies of culture. I'm the one who brings peace to chaos. Not Pharaoh. It's me. The bigger house won't buy you peace. The promotion won't give you peace. You'll be chasing endless fantasies the rest of your life. Just drop it all and give it to me. I'm the one who gives you peace. Moses, it's me. You've got to come to know me so you can free those who need me. What a beautiful invitation. So, God was showing him Moses, and I came to tell you today, this is it. You're under the sound of my voice, watching online, like, hear me. You are not a nobody. I don't know who that's for. I believe it's for someone. You're not a nobody. You are not a nobody. You do not have to know him fully, he says to you today, to fully follow him. You don't have to know every single step. Come on, be free. You don't have to know every single step to follow him today. 
also wants you to know, I just wrote it down like this so you can receive it from him. Don't doubt me. Do you believe me? His heart cries. He wants to free you of this. You might be thinking, I don't have what it takes. He wants to tell you, you don't need what it takes. You don't need what it takes. You only need me. (laughs) I came to tell you that some of you have been carrying a gift in your hand and you don't see how that gift can be used to advance God's kingdom. And all God is doing is waiting for you to trust him. If you would just throw down your stick. If you would just offer what's in your hand to him, he will show you what he can do through you. Being free, write this in, isn't about doing what you want. It's about being who you were made to be. Be free. Be free. Be free. It's not about doing what you want. Real freedom is found when you discover who you were made to be. You say, well, how do I know what I was made to be? Here's the question. What cry do you hear? What cry do you hear? Do you hear the cry of the homeless? You will find oftentimes your People use the word purpose, but who you were made to be and where you hear the loudest cry. Is it the sick? Is it divorce? You hear about divorce and it just makes you grin. Is it kids being told lies in our education system? Is it our next generation? You just look at the next gen, you're like, golly, how could they be believing such lies? Oh, you just put something inside of your stomach. Is it a woman who's been abused? You hear of a woman being beaten, and you're just like, God, this gets to me. When are you gonna finally have enough? Do something. You're going to finally have enough. Stop closing your ears to their cry. Do something. Is it the unsaved? Just don't know Jesus? Cry to you here. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to get involved. I just want you to get involved. It's way bigger than groups, by the way. Way bigger than volunteering at a church. I want you to do the thing that God is calling you to do. Get involved.
whatever he's telling me to get involved in. Don't let a lie stop you from getting involved. Let me pray for you. Jesus, trust you. And I trust you that you can take this little bit of time here to do a great work in the hearts of your people. You are not bound by time. You went to a cross, and so you deserve our utmost. You deserve every minute of our calendar. Certainly, giving you two or three more minutes to speak to our hearts is certainly allowed. So I'm going to pause. Can you just let God breathe life in you for a moment here? surrender. are closed, but this is for you. I just want you to stand. I want you to know you're a, or a somebody. If you came in here today believing you're a nobody, I can ask you to explain it, go into detail. I just want you to stand to your feet. And I want you to know today you're a somebody. Stand up. Be free. Just receive that today that you're a somebody, not a nobody. You matter. to stand to your feet and be free. Maybe today it's like not just about your nobody, but you've thought that you believe the lie, you have to fully know him in order to fully follow him. And today you just say, I step into faith and I trust him. I'll take my next step. If you want to just respond to the Lord and say, I want to take my next step, stand to your feet. I just want to take the next step. And I know what he's telling me to do. I don't know where it's going to go, but I'm just going to take the next one. Just be free and stand up. decision of salvation as much as it is about a surrender to him, a belief in him, to follow him. Maybe you believe that you don't have what it takes. If you believe the lie that you don't have what it takes, would you stand to your feet? God wants you to know today, you don't have what it takes, but I do. Stand up. something I said, but you're like, I know I need to respond to this right now. I'm not sure what it means, but I need to stand. I need to respond to him. I'm just going to pray. That's all I'm going to do is pray for you. The response to him is all you're doing. You're just saying, Lord, I'm yours. I surrender. Amen. It's just 
today's carved out for you. We know you showed up to hear this message today and God is calling you into a calling. Thought it was dead, but he's resurrecting it in Jesus' name. He's bringing it back up to life. He's resurfacing it in your body. Just tell him you surrender. Let me pray for you. Father, you're standing. You can lift your hands to the heavens, to the God. Father, thank you. Just tell him thank you. Like, thank you for crafting this day for me. Lord, free me. Free me of my insecurities, maybe, or help me to be the me that you call me to be. Jesus, I pray for your people that as they leave and they depart, they'd be free in the name of Christ. And they would complete every good work that you called them to do. We bind every attack of the enemy and we renounce it in the name of Jesus Christ. We come today trusting in you, holy God, the one true God. You would fulfill your promise in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. Hey, if you stood, I'm so proud of you. It's so good. You be seated. We're dismissed. I know we'll be dismissed two seconds. We, we are about 10 minutes, 15 minutes over than what we normally do. I told you it might be a little different. It was longer. So, all right, talk to Jesus about it. Um, uh, so, uh, final thing on your seat, there's a Brave Steps card. That's what we always end with. That blue card says Brave Steps on it. Uh, we kind of just tried to take to the best of our ability the six or seven easy steps to like, you know, life a disciple, follow Jesus, get baptized, join a group, serve with a team, uh, give freelies on there, bring someone back with you. Live brave just means live out your purpose. Maybe a lot of you today need to check off live brave. If you notice the response on, on that card, if you look at it, it's all about us walking through the journey with you. We're not a church that's going to let you sign the card and then hear from nobody. We're going to actually call you, believe it or not. And we're going to like, hey, how can we help you? And what can we do to walk through life with you? You're not going to be left alone at Brave Church. Can I just speak that over our church? I do not want to pastor a church where people come in and exit and they don't get cared for and discipled and loved on and trained up and sent out. Amen. So don't just try to show up and leave here quietly. You can get away for a little while, but eventually we're going to find you. Come to your house. <laughs> we're not going to come here. Just joking. But fill out the Brave Steps card. We want to walk through whatever step it is that you need to take today. And you can fill that out. Give it to one of the gift bins on the way out if you want to do that. Or you can give it to one of our volunteers. I'm going to say ready, set, go in just a few seconds. And I hope all of you go sign up for a group. And if you don't have a group that fits your need, then I hope that you fill out that little yellow card that says sign me up and just say groups on there. Let us know. Just We'll call you. We'll text. We'll, something. We'll, we'll get in contact with you and just try to walk you through how can we get you plugged in or connected to the people in the body of Brave Church. Amen? Okay. If you run out of space, take your time. Bucks don't play till tomorrow night, so you're totally got fun, okay? All right. I love you so much. So thankful. Did you receive a word today from God, by the way? Not, don't applaud me. Did this, was it good for you? Amen. Man, I love you so much. We love you so much like we do. We do this for you. We love you so much. That's why I can talk and talk and talk and talk. I'll be quiet now. One, two, three. Go sign up for a group. I love you. I'll see you next Sunday. Take care.